Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Blessing to be together uh, this Sunday morning and to look at God's Word. Um, each Sunday, as we hear preaching, we open God's Word and we look at Scripture together. Um, one aspect of of preaching and one aspect of Scripture I think is just incredible is the opportunity for us to come as a church family and marvel at who God is and what He's done. And we should do that every Sunday. Um, but I think especially this Sunday, even as we look at this passage in Matthew 18, we want to see how great of a king that we serve, and we want to praise him and give him the glory that he deserves, and then recognize how wonderful our salvation is that we've received. I want to begin uh, today by sharing uh, just a short story with you from World War II. And if you know about World War II, you know that between the Americans and the Japanese, there was a lot of hatred It's the same for most wars. People on either side of a war hate one another. But during this particular conflict between the Americans and Japanese, some of the most extreme and violent acts took place in this conflict in the Pacific. And if you read a history of World War II, you can see the level of hatred that these soldiers had for one another. They viewed the opposing soldiers as subhuman. They viewed them almost as dogs, as terrible creatures who didn't deserve to live. And because of this level of hatred... They treated them harshly whenever they had the chance. The level of violence and cruelty was unimaginable. And one of these soldiers fighting in World War II was an American guy by the name of Jacob DeShazer. He was in the Air Force, and he was flying missions over the Pacific, and he had the same type of attitude towards the Japanese. He hated them. He wanted to kill them, wanted to destroy them, to burn down their homes, and he didn't care about the cost. And on one particular mission he was flying over Japan... His plane crashed and his entire crew is captured. Four members of the crew were immediately executed and the rest of them were sentenced to a prison camp for the remainder of the war. And in this camp he experienced starvation and torture and suffering, forced to work in backbreaking labor, digging ditches, digging holes. They slept in a dark and crowded and filthy prison cell. They were given just moldy bread and broth to eat. This prison was an extremely dark place with little hope, a place filled with violence and cruelty. But in this darkness, in this incredible darkness, one of the other prisoners who was there with Jacob was a Christian. And Jacob was drawn to this man because of his simple trust in the Lord. He had a peace and contentment that could not be explained by their situation. This man actually ended up dying in that prison because of sickness and because of disease. But he had a Bible that he gave to Jacob and he asked him to read it. And Jacob DeShazer, he read the word of God in this dark place, and the Lord opened his eyes to see his sin and to receive forgiveness. 
He said, God gave me grace to confess my sins to him, and he forgave me all of my sins and saved me for Jesus' sake. Suddenly, I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes, and that when I looked at the enemy officers and guards who had starved and beaten my companions and me so cruelly for months and months on end, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. His heart, which had been filled with violence and murderous thoughts towards his enemies and towards his captors, was transformed by the gospel of Christ. God had taken away his heart of stone and given him a heart of flesh. And the Lord preserved him and kept him alive until the end of the war when he was released. And after the war, the Lord continued to grow a love in his heart for the Japanese people, for his captors, and desire for the lost to be saved, a desire to take the gospel to Japan. His hatred had been turned into compassion and love. And he actually ended up going after the war as a missionary and evangelist to the Japanese people for over 30 years and preaching the gospel, this gospel of reconciliation and hope to the Japanese people. Can you imagine having such a sacrificial love for the same people who tortured and imprisoned and killed many of your closest friends? And during his time of ministry in Japan, one of the men who heard him preach was a man by the name of Mitsuo Fuchida. And Mr. Fuchida had been one of the commanding officers in the Japanese Navy. They were on opposing sides, and had, he had the same level of hatred for the Americans that Jacob DeShazer had for the Japanese. These are two men who would have hated one another, would have done anything to kill one another without hesitation. And the Lord used the testimony of Jacob DeShazer, the gospel which he preached, to save this man. It's just an incredible testimony of the power of forgiveness that is freely offered through the gospel. These two men who once hated one another would embrace as brothers in Christ. That they could see because of the forgiveness offered them through the cross, they could show grace and mercy to one another. And that's what we're going to look at today, the topic of forgiveness. So I want to ask you that this morning. Have you ever struggled to forgive someone who sinned against you? I know I have. And sometimes we hear stories like this, and it might seem like an impossible standard of forgiveness. I know that many of us, many of you, have experienced very real and very serious hurt. You've been sinned against in terrible ways. You know what it's like to be taken advantage of, to be hurt, to be robbed, to be beaten. How can we offer forgiveness freely when terrible and tragic sins like this are committed against us? when the same people sin against us over and over and over again in the same ways, is this really possible? So let's pray, and then we'll look at our passage today. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that in your word, you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. God, you know that each one of us needs to understand the forgiveness that we have been offered so that we as believers can be filled with a desire to forgive others. God, we know that there is deep and real hurt in this world. As long as we live in the sinful, fallen world surrounded by sinful, fallen people, God, we will experience hurt and pain. We will suffer. But God, help us to see how with the right understanding of the gospel, with a right understanding of the forgiveness that we have received, we can forgive others even beyond our wildest dreams, even beyond what we can imagine. God, give us grace. Help us to be shaped not by our own willpower, not by our own strength, but shaped by the Word of God and shaped by the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't already, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles and let's look at Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read from starting in verse 21. 
It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this passage that we're going to be looking at today, it's at the end of one of the key chapters on forgiveness in the entire Bible, in Matthew 18. In this chapter at the beginning, Jesus teaches on having humility and a childlike faith. And then a very familiar passage, he speaks on how we should address a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against us. And today we're going to be looking at this parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And our goal is to understand why we as Christians should be the most forgiving of people. So how can you and I, how can we possibly forgive others who have sinned against us in terrible and horrific ways? Or how could we be constantly forgiving the same offense over and over and over again without losing our patience or growing bitter towards the other person? Here in verse 21, we see the Apostle Peter. He comes to the Lord of the question. Peter comes and he asks him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And I think each of us, if we're honest, we've probably had a similar thought. We all know, like Peter, we as believers know that we should forgive others, right? And even that we should be gracious and forgive someone if they do the same thing again. But surely there should be an end to it, right? And Peter knows the same thing. He knows Jesus' teaching. He knows, as a follower of Christ, that he should forgive others. He's not being sarcastic. It's not like he's saying, oh, how about seven times, Jesus? He's also not trying to avoid responsibility, but actually he was going beyond what would have been normal in that day. In Jewish tradition, in the teaching that day, you were called to forgive someone up to three times. So the rabbi's teaching was that three times you were called to forgive, but then if they sinned against you a fourth time in the same way, the responsibility was on them. You could dust off your feet and you could just move on without any regret or any concern. So Peter thinks he's actually going beyond by saying seven times, beyond what the upright and righteous men of that day would have done. I think the same is true of forgiveness in our day. Some people would say that by forgiving someone multiple times, by forgiving someone seven times, we're just enabling them. We're just being taken advantage of, and we should stand up for ourselves. But if there's anyone who we should ask about this, anyone who we should look to on this, it's Jesus. 
And Peter knew this. That's why he's asking Jesus the question. There was no one more forgiving. There's no one who has been more patient, no one who has been taken advantage of more than Jesus, who lived a perfect and sinless life while people sinned against him constantly. We know this as well. If we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, even when someone sins against us, our conscience tells us that we should forgive. We might not always listen. We might be harboring bitterness in our hearts. We may have seared our conscience by holding on to grudges. But we know that we are called to forgive. We've been given a conscience that instructs us. And I wonder if you've ever asked yourself a version of this question that Peter is asking Jesus. You might have thought, man, I've been so patient. I've been so patient with my son or my daughter. I've been so patient with my coworker or neighbor. I've forgiven them two times or three times. I've forgiven them for weeks now, but they just don't change. How many times should I forgive them? They're always rude to me. They're always unkind. They never come to visit me. How can I keep forgiving them? And here in verse 22, we see Jesus answer. Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. You could read that as seventy times seven. Wow. So Jesus is saying, you shouldn't just go to where the religious leaders do and forgive someone three times. Peter, you shouldn't just forgive someone seven times, but you should forgive them seventy times seven. And if you're good at math, like I know some of you guys are, you might be calculating in your head, but that's not the point. Jesus isn't saying that we should forgive them 490 or 491 times. This is supposed to show us that our forgiveness should be unending, should be infinite. If you're looking at this passage, you're reading 70 times 7, okay, I need to forgive my neighbor 490 times, and then, oh man, then I I can be done with him. Then we have a problem. This is one thing we can point out even now about forgiveness. We should not keep record of others' sin against us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that famous passage on love, we read that true love, Christ-centered love, keeps no record of wrongs. We as humans should not keep a list of offenses against us. We know that justice and vengeance and true judgment can only come rightly from God. And so he does keep an account, but we as believers should not pretend to exercise judgment. There's no purpose for us to keep account of the number of times we have been wronged. And this rightly emphasizes our dependence on God, our need to trust in God as a sovereign ruler and ultimate judge. We cannot right the wrongs that are committed against us. We cannot settle the score. And so we should not keep a record of other sins against us. How can this be? How can we as Christians constantly forgive, even when we're sinned against by the same person in the same way day after day after day? This can seem impossible. You know, we're so easily discouraged, we're so easily frustrated by others, but through the Lord's help, we can forgive. And so to instruct Peter and the other disciples, Jesus responds to him with a parable. And this parable can be broken up into three sections, three main points that we're going to look at today in this passage to help us understand the responsibility of forgiveness that we have. So first, we're going to see the compassion of the king. Second, the cruelty of his servant. And then third, the responsibility of forgiveness. The compassion of the king, the cruelty of his servant, and the responsibility of forgiveness. So if you know about parables, you know that parables were a common form of teaching that Jesus used to instruct and to explain truths about the Christian lives. They were stories which were designed to illustrate and to describe. One author said that parables make the things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught 
and at the same time more difficult and obscure to those who are willfully ignorant. This isn't because parables were in some kind of secret code that only those whose eyes have been opened by God can, can hear or see. It's because those whose eyes have not been opened, they're blind to spiritual truth. So first, we see in this parable that Jesus shares the compassion of the king. Let's look again at verse 23 together and begin reading this parable. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So in this parable, we first see a king here who is sitting down. He's sitting down to settle accounts with his servants, some kind of regular settling of debts. This could have been a monthly thing or an annual thing where each member of the kingdom would come before him and pay him what they owed to settle up their account. It may have been money they borrowed or money that had been granted to them. And Jesus here is speaking through a parable about God calling us to account for our actions. Each of us as people made in the image of God, as subjects of his kingdom, are accountable to him. We've been given certain abilities, resources, and gifts to glorify him and to use for his glory. And we must give an account for how we've used those gifts and what we have done. We know there's an ultimate day when we will stand before God and we'll give an account for our lives at the judgment seat of God. But there are also times when we must give an account throughout our lives. Verse 24, it says, When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So this king is called this particular servant, this one servant before him to settle his debt. And the amount that is listed is 10,000 talents. This servant owed 10,000 talents to the king. And if you're familiar with biblical measurements or amounts of money, you'll understand that this is a massive amount of money, almost an unimaginable amount of money. Bible scholars have disagreed over the years, but it's somewhere between hundreds of millions of rand up to billions of rand that this servant owed. Just for some perspective, when you read of the Queen of Sheba, who is one of the richest queens that ever lived, she came to visit Solomon in the book of 1 Kings, who's one of the richest men that ever lived, one of the richest kings. And she wanted to bring him a gift with meaning, a gift with purpose that reflected his status and her status. She gave him 120 talents. That's some perspective for you. So this servant owes 10,000 talents. This servant cannot possibly hope to repay this massive debt. He could work for a hundred lifetimes, and he would never reach this amount. And again, remember, this is a parable. So Jesus is telling this story for a purpose. We have to think, what is this debt supposed to symbolize? And it's sin. The disciples knew this, and each one of us can understand this, that every one of us has accumulated a debt which we cannot repay. The debt of our sin towards God is so massive that we could never on our own repay the Lord for what we owe him. In Psalms 40, verse 12, we see David recognizing the overwhelming debt of his sin. He says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. He sees the quantity of his sin, the severity of sin, and who he has sinned against, and he's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by the depth of his sin and the debt that he owes to God. And if each of us is honest today, we are each in the same position. The debt of sin that we have accumulated is unimaginable. We can never repay it. And each of us has been called to account at some point in our lives. We have each been shown the magnitude of the debt that we have before God, the massive amount of sin that we have committed. 
and the debt that we owe to God. We are called to settle the debt that we owe. And if you're a believer here today, you've had some time like this. Whether you heard the gospel presented on the street, you heard a sermon which showed you the depths of your sin, or a friend spoke to you about the the gospel and your need for a savior. And in this time, you saw the debt that you owed to God, the massive amount of sin that had piled up. And in this moment, you, like the servant being called before the king, you had an opportunity to settle your account. Or if you've never realized this, maybe today is that day for you. Maybe today is a day when you must give an account to God. You're being called before the king. You may have never truly recognized the magnitude of your sin. And your sin is not neutral. Your sinful thoughts and words and actions, they have consequences. You have sinned not just against your brother or your neighbor or your son or your daughter, but your sin is against a perfect and holy God. A God who not only created you and owns you, but is perfectly just and righteous. And sin cannot be in his presence. Sin cannot stand before him. And as you understand the magnitude of your sin, the debt that you owe, even today you have the opportunity to settle your account with God like this servant. You'll see later on in this passage the incredible forgiveness that is offered by this king for those who repent and believe. And in this parable, the king, being a righteous judge, he sentences the servant. So let's look there in verse 25. It says, He orders him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So this doesn't satisfy the debt, but this is all that he has. This is the best that can be done in this situation. This is pretty intense. So everything that this man has is taken away from him because he owes more than he could ever repay. He's sold into slavery. His entire family is sold into slavery. Everything that he has is taken away from him. His house, his land, everything that he has, all of his possessions are sold to repay as much of the debt as are possible. Some commentators have pointed out that this punishment reflects the punishment of sinners in hell. As fallen human beings being made in the image of God, made for his glory, but as those who have sinned, who have taken this gift of God and stolen his glory by not worshiping him as he deserves, we can never repay this debt to God. We can never truly repay the debt. Every sinner who suffers in hell, they can never give God back the glory which they have taken from him. And it's the same for this servant. Even though all that he has is taken away from him, he will never repay this massive debt that he owes. Then in verse 26, we see this incredible scene. It says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So the servant is overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed by the depths of his sin this debt that he has accumulated, and he falls on his face. There's nothing else he can do in this moment but fall on his face before the king. He knows that the sentence is just. He knows this is what he deserves. But he pleads with the king to let him try to pay it back. I think this attitude reflects many when they understand the gospel for the first time. You're overwhelmed by the debt of sin that you owed. You know that you can never repay it, but your first instinct is just to fall on your face and plead with the Lord to let you try to pay it back to think that you will try to do better. And the Lord knows this isn't possible. He knows we cannot do better on our own. But what incredible forgiveness that is offered to the servant. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. So a debt that could never have been repaid by the servant. And a forgiveness that can only be offered by the king himself. No one else could forgive him this debt. 
And this compassion, this forgiveness that is offered, this graciousness is part of God's very character, part of his nature. In Exodus 34, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and we see this incredible scene. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It's part of his very nature, part of his character. God's mercy is unmatched. His love and kindness is unparalleled. It is only the sovereign Lord who can truly pardon sinners. Only he who can forgive us our sins. Only he who can cancel out the debt that you and I owe. This is amazing love that we have been shown. That the king of the universe would cancel out our debt that we owe him. A debt that we could never pay. What incredible mercy. What amazing grace has been shown to us. Even last week with Pastor Andre, as we looked at Galatians 5, it can be overwhelming to read of the works of the flesh, to think of the depths of our sin, to see that these sins that are described, that many of our lives were given over to them before Christ. Sexual immorality, bitterness, jealousy, and anger. Another similar passage in 1 Corinthians 6 describes this. It says, Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. You were pardoned by the king. You were shown mercy that you did not deserve. Your debt was canceled. Your sin has been paid for, and you have been set free. What amazing kindness has been shown to us by God our king. So now the parable, this story, turns from this beautiful scene of mercy from the king to an ugly scene of incredible cruelty, from the compassion of the king to the cruelty of his servant. So let's pick up in this parable and continue reading from verse 28 says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with me, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This is really quite shocking. Jesus intended it to be this way. But this servant who has been shown unimaginable kindness whose debt has been canceled. He leaves directly from the presence of the king, and he goes straight to this other person who owes him a smaller amount of money. And a hundred denarii, it's not an inconsequential amount. A denarii was about a day's wage, so the servant owed the other servant about four months' pay. But again, this is nothing compared to the infinite debt that he has just been forgiven by the king. But the servant is completely blind to this. He goes to this other servant that owes him a hundred denarii. Notice how intense it is. He doesn't speak to him. He doesn't explain the situation. He just walks up to him and he grabs him by the throat and starts choking him. And while he has him around the throat, he demands that he pay him back immediately. It's so extreme. It's so harsh, so ungracious, so unloving. And you might be thinking, how could this guy do this? Can't he see how hypocritical this is? He's just been forgiven and now he's going and he's being so unforgiving towards this other servant. 
But this is exactly what we do when we don't forgive others. When we as believers who have been forgiven an unimaginable debt by the king, when we in turn are ungracious with others, unforgiving, this is exactly the same as this servant going and grabbing this other servant by the throat. We've seen the mountain of our sin of debt that had been accumulated, this unpayable debt, and then we have been offered such incredible mercy and forgiveness and grace by God through Christ's blood. And then we turn around and we find someone who's annoying to us, someone who says an unkind word to us, someone who mistreats us, and we lash out at them. And we're just like this servant. We're grabbing someone by the throat and we're demanding to be repaid. When we harbor bitterness in our hearts towards our fellow brother or sister in Christ, when we speak harshly towards them, ungraciously, or we hold a grudge against someone, we're doing exactly what the servant is doing. It's a tragedy. Can you see how sad this is? How terrible it is when we don't forgive others when we have been forgiven so much. So the servant, he grabs the guy by the throat, he starts choking him, he demands that he be repaid. And then his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. So you might notice this servant does exactly what the other servant asks of the king. He falls down on his face and he pleads for mercy. But the response is completely the opposite. There's no forgiveness. There's no mercy. There's no grace. And he is completely blinded to his hypocrisy. He doesn't see it. You can see there in the passage, it doesn't say that he recognizes error, he realized how hypocritical he was being, but says that others noticed. In verse 31, it says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They were shocked, shocked by his behavior. They might have been in the room when the king had pardoned him, forgiven his debt. They were his fellow servants. And now they see this man who had received such incredible mercy reacting in such a harsh and cruel way towards this other servant. And isn't this true of us as well? We're often blinded to our own sin, no matter how ugly it is. Spurgeon said of the servant, he said, others could see the evil of his conduct, even if he could not. Sometimes we are painfully, and to our embarrassment, blind to our own sinful fleshly conduct. Our sin can be so blatant, so evident to everyone around us, but in the ugliness of our own hearts, we fail to acknowledge even the most obvious of sins. I know I can be guilty of that. There have been times where Claire has patiently and lovingly and gently pointed out a harsh tone or a rude word that I've said, and my instinct isn't to apologize, but to defend or to deflect. There's such a temptation and such a sinful tendency in our own hearts to avoid accountability for our own sin and our own actions. This is wrong. And it's ugly when we see it in others' actions, and it's ugly when we notice it in our our own hearts. Now, did this other servant owe him money? Yes. But that's not the question. He wasn't unjust in asking for it to be repaid, but he was definitely ungracious. He was failing to see the incredible grace and forgiveness that he had been shown. So first we saw the compassion of the king, and now we saw the cruelty of his servant. Now finally we see the responsibility of forgiveness, starting in verse 32. It says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. 
So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So here in this final section, particularly in verse 35, we see the parable being applied. And in a way, all of a parable is application. But here, Jesus is specifically highlighting the responsibility that we as believers have to forgive. Because he knows that there is such a tendency in our own hearts, a sinful tendency to withhold forgiveness from others. Sometimes we can excuse it by saying, well, I shouldn't have to forgive them if they didn't confess. Or like Peter, we want to assume that there should be a limit to our forgiveness. We can forgive someone six times, but not seven. But God alone is judge. He alone is the one who knows the heart of man. We should never put ourselves in the place of God. And that is what the king is saying to his servant in this parable. This is so wicked. I forgave you this massive debt, and I showed mercy to you, but then you would not even forgive the other servant this smaller amount. Because of the magnitude of the forgiveness which has been shown to you, it makes it that much worse when the servant is harsh in return. The same is true for us. When we who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, the guilt of our sins has been removed, eternal consequences of our sin and hell has been taken away, we have a hope of heaven, We've been declared righteous because of God's sacrificial love for us. When we in turn fail to forgive others, we are spitting in the face of our king. We are throwing his kindness back in his face. In Luke 7, you might remember the story of the woman who came. She anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. She sat at his feet weeping and wiping his feet with her tears. She was washing his feet with her hair. You remember the disciples, they were shocked by this. It seemed wasteful to them, and they were confused. They just didn't understand. They were blind in many ways like we are. And when they asked Jesus about it, he told them another parable, a parable about two men who were forgiven a debt. He said there were two men who were forgiven a debt, and one of them was forgiven a larger amount and the other a smaller amount. And he asked the disciples, which one do you think would be more grateful? And they understood this. They rightly responded and said, the one who is forgiven more would be more grateful. Jesus says in Luke 7:47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. This woman's gratitude for the Lord's forgiveness was great because she had been forgiven much. She loved because he first loved her. This should be the same for each one of us. If we see the massive debt of sin that we have been forgiven, we should be overflowing with gratitude and forgiveness towards others and gratefulness towards our king. And here in our passage, the king's condemnation of the servant was swift and it was direct. In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. This is not a sinful anger from the Lord. We know that's not possible, but this is a righteous anger. God alone is the perfect judge. He alone is righteous. James 2.13, it says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And this servant received the punishment for his wickedness. How could someone receive mercy who refuses to show mercy himself? And Jesus concludes and says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I don't think this parable is saying that it's an unforgivable sin to not forgive, that if we fail to forgive someone, that we in turn are condemned to hell for it. But Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's instructing us through his word that a lack of forgiveness or a pattern of unforgiveness in someone's life is evidence of a heart that has not been transformed by the gospel of Christ. We should see this as a warning for us this morning as well. 
Even if our hearts have not been hardened by the servant, we know that the Lord chastises those he loves. There are still consequences for sin, and we should fight against bitterness and pride in our hearts that would keep us from forgiving others. Not out of guilt, but out of gratitude for what the Lord has done. And if you're here today and you're seeing in your own heart a lack of forgiveness or a pattern of unforgiveness, you say, I don't know if I can forgive someone seven times or three times. I have a hard time even forgiving someone once. And you hold on to bitterness. You lash out at others. You're grabbing them by the throat and demanding to be repaid when you're sinned against. This is an opportunity. This is a time when you are being called to account. You're called to give an account to God for your actions. And even though the weight of your sin, the depths of your sin, the consequences for your sin are unimaginable, the mercy and forgiveness and grace that is offered by the king can forgive it all. And if you, like this servant, can fall on your face and plea with him, ask for forgiveness and confess your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from your sin and to forgive you for all your unrighteousness. And you too can have a hope of an eternity with the Lord. You can have a new heart. The Lord can take away this heart of stone, this unforgiving, hard heart, and give you a heart of flesh. There's so much more that we could say about forgiveness. As I spent time reading and studying recently, I was just overwhelmed by so many examples in Scripture of forgiveness. But from the parable that we looked at today, The basis of our forgiveness towards others has to be the forgiveness that we have been shown by God. We cannot hope to forgive others by the strength of our will or our own self-righteousness. We love because he first loved us. And that man, Jacob DeShazer, he understood this. He saw how huge the debt of his sin was towards God. He knew what he had been forgiven and how much grace he had been shown. This was a man whose heart had been shaped by forgiveness, and only because he knew the forgiveness that he had received, he was able to show forgiveness towards the same men who had tortured and beaten him. If he had depended on his own strength, he never would have gone back to Japan to preach the gospel to these men who he had hated, to these men who he had treated so cruelly. The same can be true of us as believers today. If we recognize how great our debt was before God, how great the pardon is that we have received, we as Christians can be the most forgiving of people. Whether it's to forgive the same offense over and over and over again without losing our patience, or if it's forgiving truly evil sins that have been committed against us, we as Christians can be the most forgiving of people because we see how much we have been forgiven. By the power of the gospel, the reconciliation that we receive through Christ, the love that we have been shown by the Father who sacrificed his Son on our behalf, and the help of the Holy Spirit as our counselor and comforter, we can truly forgive others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know how great a debt that we owed. God, you know how great the sin was that we had accumulated. You know that even one sin was enough to send a man to hell, and each of us has lived a lifetime in this world with sinful actions, with sinful hearts. God, help us to see the mercy that we have been shown. Help us to see the magnitude of the pardon that we have received through Christ. Help us to see that we, like the servant, have been forgiven an an unimaginable debt. God, create a tenderness in our hearts, patience with others, gentleness towards others. Help us to be quick to forgive. 
Help us to be gentle and loving and compassionate towards others. God, give us the strength to forgive others, even when they sin against us in cruel and unimaginable ways. Give us the strength to forgive others when they sin against us repeatedly. Help us to reflect Jesus' love and patience and forgiveness towards others. God, we see his example living this life his life, walking on this earth, living a sinless and perfect life, but being persecuted and afflicted, beaten and mocked, but always turning the other cheek, always being quick to forgive. Help us to reflect the heart of Christ in our attitudes towards others. We know that this can only happen by your help and by your power and by your strength. Thank you that you've given us a Holy Spirit as a comforter and as a guide. God, pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, soften our hearts, God, I pray even today that you would reveal areas in our hearts where we've been harboring unforgiveness towards others, bitterness that we have been holding against others, grudges that we've been holding. God, soften our hearts. Help us to see how tragic this sin is. That our sin is not just against our brother or sister in Christ or our children or our spouse, but our sin is against you, perfect and loving God who has forgiven us so much. God, grant us true repentance and help us to walk in righteousness, even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.